0: Last night I got this email, let's see if it comes up here. There we go. It said, what makes a great neighbor? Well, I thought, since the church is my neighbor and three other houses are my neighbors and they're called workers, maybe I better find out if I'm being a good neighbor. So I looked at the list. It said, good neighbors bring cookies. Well, I do bring donuts to Bible class, so I think that counts, right? Good neighbors rarely gossip. Good neighbors share phone numbers. I have their emails. Good neighbors help before they're asked. Good neighbors are tidy. Good neighbors mow the lawn. In fact, better neighbors mow their neighbor's lawn, which I did last night too. Good neighbors communicate. So I thought, okay, that's a nice little helpful list to be a good neighbor. But then I wondered, what is it that makes a good church member? I think sometimes we simply summarize it with the word fellowship. Fellowship is one of those churchy words. You know, it's just kind of particular to the church. Sometimes churches will have it in the name of their church. They might say, we're Agape Fellowship or Calvary Fellowship. But fellowship is also a term that we use to describe sometimes the activities that we have, the different ways we get together to socialize or to work together. What it's really speaking about is something that we have in common and do together. Well, fellowship is not just some 21st century concept. It was there 3,000 years ago. King David talked about it in the Psalms. As we continue our journey through the psalms, today we're going to listen to how the idea of fellowship is important to God's people and hear the blessings that it brings. David wrote a psalm about it, a short psalm. It's Psalm 133. It's entitled, A Song of Ascents. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Of David. He writes, How good and pleasant it is when God's people... And he just used the word for brothers. How God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there... The Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. That was it. (laughs) For once, David had a short little psalm, but in it he tells us about the benefits of fellowship. But first, maybe we need to define what fellowship is. Sometimes churches are characterized by their people. Like in this cartoon, the husband asks his wife, So how was the new church, darling? And she looks out the window. (laughs) She sees all the church people there on her front lawn. And she says, Well, good. Um, They're very welcoming. (laughs) Maybe too much, huh? The little dog there in the corner is kind of scared. But it just illustrates that sometimes the way the people are characterizes the church. Well, what is it that characterizes us as a people of God, as a fellowship? Well, David told us what the basis for that fellowship is. He said what St. Paul said. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. David said what was pleasant and good was the unity of God's people. But what unity was he talking about? The unity that comes from the Spirit. The unity of faith. Now David was talking about it too. He was talking about that unity of the spirit when he talked about oil flowing down Aaron's head. Now we hear that and we go, what in the world was that about? Well, in the Old Testament, the priests, the prophets, and the kings were all anointed when they stepped into office. Today we, we call it installation. But back then it was anointing, where they took oil and poured it on the top of that person's head. Now David was describing what happened to Aaron, Israel's first priest, 500 years before he wrote. He described the oil coming down his head, on his beard, running all the way down to the bottom of his robe. One Bible commentator noted this. You see from the picture there, there's a a breastplate on on his chest. And on that breastplate were 12 stones, one stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that Bible commentator noted that as that oil was coming down Aaron, it would also cover over those 12 stones, implying that there was unity that God's spirit brought to God's people. It's the unity of faith. That's what Paul was talking about when he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now he went on to describe that unity of faith. He said, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism... One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's what he's describing. First of all, we have a unity of faith when it comes to salvation. We believe that we are saved by God's grace alone, not by our efforts. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us. His life, his death that paid the price for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, that's what saves us, all through faith. He said there is one Lord. You know, we live in an era in which we hear a lot about a lot of different religions. And some people will say, well, all those religions are valid. They're just different ways to get to the same destination. But that's not what the scriptures teach. That there is just one God, one Lord, and that a concept of Lord in the New Testament meant somebody who purchased you to be his servant. Jesus purchased us. He redeemed us from the devil and from sin and from death, with his life, death, death and resurrection. We are now God's people. And it is through faith. There's one faith, one truth that we trust, the truths of the scriptures. He said there's one baptism. Now he's referring to the sacraments. Of course, we know we have the Lord's Supper also as a sacrament. But here he was talking about that sacrament that brings us into the family of God. Baptism. By which God removes our sins and places his name on us. And then he spoke of the sovereignty of God when he said there is one God who is the father of all, who is over all and in all. With that, he's reminding us that there is that one God And he is over all things for us to bring us to that goal of eternal life in heaven with him. That's the unity of faith. When Paul was describing how we were brought to this unity of faith through baptism, he gives it this description in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, today when we look around at people, we see our differences. We see the different cultures, the different races, different likes, different attitudes, different activities, all sorts of differences. But Paul was saying all those differences are erased as we're brought together in what he would refer to as the family of God. So when we speak of fellowship, we're speaking of a unity of faith, but also a unity as a family. Now, when David started this psalm, he said how good and pleasant it is when the family of God, God's people live in unity. I wonder what family he was thinking of. Couldn't have been his. Because his sons were always at each other. There wasn't unity there. Even when you think of the first family in the Bible. The two brothers, Cain and Abel. There wasn't unity there. The one was jealous of the other and killed him. Or we think of Jacob and Esau. How they were greedy for the birthright. Or the sons of Jacob. The twelve sons and how they were filled with pride and and beat up their younger brother Joseph and sold him to slave traders. Man, what kind of unity was David thinking of? Even in the New Testament, this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians and also his letter to the Philippians, he talks about some of the disunity that was there among God's people. So can there be a unity in God's family? Absolutely, David saw it. Remember the title of the psalm? It was called a psalm of ascents, meaning this was a psalm that the worshipers spoke or sang when they were ascending Mount Zion to go to the temple to worship. Perhaps David was looking out of his palace window, and that's what he saw among God's people, a unity there focused on God. The apostle Paul picked that theme up too. When he was trying to bring peace among the Ephesians who were divided between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, he reminded them of their unity, their peace in Jesus. He wrote this For he himself, meaning Christ, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jesus brings peace and unity to people. He brought that peace and unity between God and humans. And he brings it between human and human when we recognize he is our savior and he has brought us together. That's why Paul would go on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I know that sometimes in families, sometimes in church families, there can be some disunity. There can be some disagreements about how things should be done, or how things should be run, or how things should look. You know, it's good when there are differences of opinions. I'll talk about that in a minute. But those kind of things sometimes can cause divisions and get people upset, like the worshipers who were coming to the temple, let's keep our focus on God, how he has blessed us, how he has saved us, and what he wants us to do in service to him and others. And that brings that bond of peace. So let me stop at this point and just encourage you to build on that unity of faith. Ground yourselves in the truths of Scripture. How grounded are you in the truths of Scripture? And what are you doing to ground yourself? Let me encourage you to consider getting involved with one of our small group Bible studies, especially as some of them will be starting up again next month. Come to our Sunday Bible classes or our weekday Bible classes. Go to our bookstore. Great books in there. Just read the Scriptures. Get into God's Word. Ground your faith in His truth. So, Make a plan to build on that unity of faith. That is what became a a characteristic of the early Christian church. Luke wrote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's what stood out. They worked to build that unity. Now you notice he also said the fellowship. So we're encouraged to grow in our our love and our time with one another. What can you do? What can you do to become a a more active and stronger part of this fellowship? Earlier I I had mentioned that sometimes we have differences of opinions on things. And that, that can be good. You know, when we listen to music, there's not just one note that's being played. There are several notes that are being played all at the same time, and they harmonize. In fact, some of those notes are identified as being sharp or flat, because the sound changed. Now, I don't know that we would go around and say, you know what, that guy's opinion was really sharp, or was really flat. (laughs) But it was different, and together all of those notes blend together to bring a beautiful harmony. And so it is in the congregation that we need to see those differences as ways that can just work together to harmonize, to bring beauty to what we do. But we need to understand that this is the unity of the spirit. This is something that God must give. So we must pray for it and we must follow his bidding, his leading to have such harmony. So that's the basis of Fellowship, the harmony, the unity of faith and family. Now, when David was describing this fellowship, he used kind of an interesting picture, that of dew. He said, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now we have to understand a little bit about Holy Land geography. Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the Holy Land, way up in the north, 10,000 feet high. And it would receive a lot of dew, to the point where travelers described it as if it was a morning shower. Mount Zion is a small hill in the barren part, the dry part of Israel in Jerusalem. But there is where the temple of God was. What he was simply saying is just like Herman is covered with that rich life giving dew, so it is also there in Zion through the blessing that God brings. And so, what he's telling us is that there are blessings that come through fellowship, through sharing, first of all. We share a common faith. That happens when we share God's word. But the scriptures also remind us that there are other ways and other reasons. For us to share. Again, the early description of the Christians was this all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. He's simply describing that part of the fellowship is to share our things to meet the needs of others. We do that here. We do that when we gather things in our pantry to give to those who are in need when they come to church. We've even gathered things together for new workers when they come to church so that they can start out with a full kitchen. We share finances too to people who are in need. We we give out tuition grants to people so they can bring their kids to our school. When we do prison ministry, we we share things. I've told you about the greasy hamburgers we buy those guys from the vending machine. They love it, it's, but it's a great way for us to share love with them, that we can lead them to the love of God. That's the kind of sharing God is urging through fellowship. We might also call that serving. Sometimes we refer to a church as a congregation. That means a gathering of people. God also uses the illustration of a body to talk about the church. That just as our body is made up of different parts and organs, so also the church is made up of different people with their different abilities. And we are to use those abilities to serve others. Peter commented it this way. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So we are to take a look at the abilities that we have and recognize that they can be used to serve God's grace to others. What's your ability? You know, just like we have all these different parts to our body, sometimes we don't pay attention to certain parts, even though they're functioning. I don't usually think of my wrists or my elbows, but boy, I sure use them all the time. And the same way within the church, There are some abilities or gifts that maybe stand out, and others that are kind of working behind the scenes, so to speak. But they're all necessary. What is your gift? What is your ability? As we grow together in fellowship, God wants us to recognize those opportunities. I like to refer to them simply as being a conduit for God's blessings. A pipe, so to speak. Earlier this summer, I was noticing how my grass in the front yard was turning brown. I couldn't figure out why it was doing that, because I had the timer set for the sprinklers to go off in the middle of the night, so I never really knew if they went off. So I decided I was going to just test them after I had upped the time, and still the grass was brown. Well, I found out that even though the timer was operating, the sprinklers weren't turning on. I went, the valve for the sprinklers was turned off. So just like we can have a whole irrigation system for our lawns all set and a timer there, unless the valve is on to bring the water there, it's not going to work. And the same is true in our lives. God has given us all these abilities and opportunities like an irrigation system, but unless the valve is turned on, nothing's going to flow through it. Turn on your valve. See what your ability is and let God's grace flow through it. So look at your abilities and interests and get involved. Be a part of the body of Christ. Now, there's one more thing again that David was highlighting that he started out with when he said how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. He's speaking of the benefits that come to us from the unity, the fellowship That we have. First of all, he says it's good, meaning it's beneficial. It does something for us. Just like that dew was good for the ground, so the fellowship is good for us. In the scriptures, uh, the dew is is used as a metaphor for a number of things. It's used as a metaphor for God's word, which brings us life, it's used as a metaphor for God's working, which brings fruitfulness to our life. It's used as a metaphor just for refreshing, which we get from God. And so as we live in this fellowship and serve, we too will be refreshed. He also reminds us it'll be pleasant, enjoyable. Now I know that sometimes when you volunteer, it's hard, it's not always easy. And sometimes there can be little disagreements or rubs between people. Perhaps that's why Paul said to be patient to bear one another's burdens, and to forgive. Because finally, when we focus on God and what our mission is, we will experience that joy of serving, the joy of fellowship. So while there can be differences, there's also a great unity that we have. The question is though, where do you fit in in the body of Christ? There is a role, there is a spot for you to play. Look at how God will lead you. But recognize it's working together. And when we are together, things are better. But it's not just because we're stronger in number. It's stronger because of the spirit that is in us. The spirit of God and Christ. May God bless our work and our fellowship together. Amen.